Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. Joshua got it completely wrong the first time he attacked AI. Instead of seeking the Lord, he listened to the advice of his spies, which led to Israel's defeat. But we serve a God of grace who allows do-overs, and today we'll see how God gave Joshua another chance with AI. Two of Cheryl's message titled, The Do-Over. And she has walked with Jesus now. It's It's been over um, 20 years of walking with Jesus. I mean, it's just amazing what God has done in her life. He allowed me a do-over. I want you to realize he's a God who gives us do-overs. The places where we feel we've blown it, he gives us do-overs. Joshua got it wrong the first time he attacked AI. Have you ever realized that this book is a book about a lot of imperfect people and one perfect savior of all grace? Joshua got it wrong. He didn't seek the Lord. He listened to the advice of the spies. He sent only 3,000 men to AI. Under his leadership, Israel was defeated. Under his leadership, 36 lives were lost. Under his leadership, the men of Israel fled. Under his leadership, Israel was humiliated before their enemies. Under his leadership, he didn't know that one of his men had taken of the accursed thing. He didn't realize, even as the leader, that they were under a curse rather than a blessing. He had missed it. And there could be no victory until the sin was uncovered. Joshua made three grave mistakes that cost him the victory. He had not sought the Lord. He had acted presumptuously on his own understanding. He had underestimated the enemy and overestimated his own strength. It's over. No, it's not over. It's not over? You mean God forgives? I mean, I look at Joshua chapter 7, and in Joshua 7, Joshua doesn't even pray a nice prayer. This is not a nice prayer. This is the essence of Joshua's prayer. It's all your fault, God. Why did we even come out of Egypt, God? Why did you tell us to come in and to fight if you're not going to give us the victory? He blamed God for the loss. He told God about all the collateral damage, and he blamed it all on God. But it was an authentic prayer, and it was from the heart. And God answered this prayer. God answered an imperfect prayer prayer from an imperfect leader of an imperfect nation. 
God answered the prayer. And God revealed that there was an accursed thing in the camp and the need for exposure and cleansing. Now in chapter eight, it's time to take AI. It's time to return to that very place where there was a defeat. You know, there is nothing that smarts like failure is there. It's just almost as if that thing that you failed in is like failure, failure, failure. Every time you look at it, failure, failure. If you've gotten in an accident someplace, like every time you go through that intersection, failure, failure, failure. You know, this is the place where I blew it. You know, maybe you have something like that. You know, I have these curtains that I made and the sewing clutch has volunteered to make me new curtains. They're very sweet because I put chairs and couches in front of my curtains because when I made them, (laughs) they didn't reach the floor. I mismeasured. So they're all like two inches too short, you know. It's kind of like flood curtains. That's what I call them. You know, like flood pants. They're the pants that are too short. So flood curtains. You know, and sometimes they're just like, I look at them, you know, when I move the couch and it says failure, 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 you know. And I'm like, I know. If this house ever gets flooded, I'm so set. Failure tends to rock us to the core. It casts doubt on everything you thought you knew or thought you could do. Even a recipe, when it fails, makes us doubt, do I really know how to cook? Do I really have the skill for this? It leaves you unsteady and insecure. But God reassures Joshua with a promise of victory. It's like God's original promise to Joshua. Remember, Joshua? I told you to be strong and good courage. We read that in Joshua 1, verse 7. This promise that God speaks to him twice. And then before the victory at Jericho in Joshua 6, 2, God says, see, I have given you this city. Be strong and courageous. Now, in verse 1 of chapter 8, after this failure, God reiterates his promise to Joshua. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you and arise. We've heard that word before. Get up. Go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. Before when they went against Ai, they didn't go with the promise of the Lord. Now they're going to go with the promise. And here is the do-over. God has specific instructions for how victory will be won. There is a battle plan. Unlike Jericho, the booty will go to the people of Israel. There will be a strategic ambush and all the men of war will be involved. They are to divide up into three companies. The first company, 30,000 mighty men of valor will hide behind the city of Ai, verse four. They will not be too far from the city and they will be on high alert. The second company will go to the west of the city, 5,000 men hiding in a valley between Ai and Bethel. Now remember, Bethel is, it means the house of God. It's a place where Jacob had the dream, where he saw the angels of God descending and ascending and descending on the ladder. And God spoke to him specific promises, gave him a promise in this very place. Bethel is also the place where Jacob renewed his covenant with God in Genesis 35 when he was uh, right after the victory with Esau. 
Then a third company will stay with Joshua. They will approach the city from the front. They will draw out the men of Bethel from the city. They will pretend to flee and thusly draw every man from the city. Unlike Jericho, they will go at night and Joshua will accompany them. Unlike the first time they went to Ai, this time Joshua is gonna be with them. He's gonna stay with the troops. They will wait in the fields until Joshua's signal. These are such different plans than the plans of man, than the plans of the spies. Originally, when they attacked Ai, they went with only 3,000 men. There was no specific strategy. The word was attack. They went during the day, and Joshua did not accompany them. And then unlike Jericho, they're not going to march around the city. They're not going to make their presence known. They're going to draw the men out rather than seek to go into the city. There is a specific plan, and all of Israel will be involved, not just 3,000. This is going to be public. It's going to be personal because Joshua will be with them. It's going to be specific because there's a plan, and it's going to be precision because there's a timing involved. Joshua and the company follow God's plan. And Joshua and his men make themselves visible to the men of Ai. The men of Ai come out of the city. Joshua falls back with his group and they draw every man out of the city. And it looks like another win for Ai. And all of the men in the city, no doubt, want to take part in victory over Israel. And Joshua is more interested in hearing the Lord than even what's going on in the battle. His ears are not attuned to the cry of the enemy or the cries of his men, but to the call of God. And at a certain time, in God's order, he says to Joshua, now raise up the spear that's in your hand. And as Joshua just stops, he's falling back from the enemy and he just stops and turns around, stares at the enemy, picks up the spear and holds it over his head. And the men that are with him turn on the men of Ai. The men to the west, they raise up their spears and they let the men who are behind Ai know. And the men to the west and the men behind Ai fall upon the city and they set it on fire. And the men of Ai, they turn, they see their city on fire. Their spirit, their courage leaves them. And Joshua and the men have victory over Ai. The king of Ai is captured, hung, his body is laid at the city gate, and he is buried underneath the rubble. And Ai now becomes a monument, a memorial to remind the people of the danger of not seeking the Lord, but to remind them that God's promise requires God's presence, God's power, God's plans, God's precision. Victory has come through the presence of God, the power of God, the plans of God, the precision of God. God has given them a second opportunity, and this time it is victory. God's grace initiates a new zeal in the people of Israel. They congregate together at Mount Ebal. They rehearse 
the law of God. They lost to Ai because of disobedience to God's word. And now they've got this vehement desire to obey God, to know what God wants, what God requires, to obey the commands of Moses. So as God commanded, they bring forth these stones that have no metal tool, no man-altered, man-enhanced carvings on them. They are totally shaped by God and by God alone, reminding all of Israel that it's not by might nor by power, but victory comes by the Spirit of God. It's not about the strength of the army. It's not about the size of the army. It's not about the size or strength of the enemy. It's not about passive victory, but it is about the presence and spirit of God. These people, as they come to Mount Ebel, the people of Israel, they now know what it feels like to be under the curse of God And they know what it's like to be under the blessing of God. And now, as Joshua writes in limestone, the law of God, the Ten Commandments on the stone, the people are going to look at that law, and then they are going to pass between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. From Mount Ebal, the Levites will shout the curses that are mentioned in Deuteronomy. Cursed is every man who does not seek the Lord. Cursed is every man who turns to idols. And it says, you will flee from your enemies. You will be the borrower and not the lender. And then the blessings, your baskets will be full. Your trees will be filled with fruit. The blessings of the Lord. And the people will walk through between the two in this valley that they might know that the choice is theirs to walk in the curse under the wrath of God or to walk under the blessing of God. And now that they know, they know. They read the Ten Commandments. No other gods, no idols. Never take the name of the Lord in vain. Remember and revere the Sabbath. Rest in the Lord. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not have sex outside of marriage. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not cover. Then they offer burnt offerings and peace offerings. The burnt offerings, the entire carcass of either a ram, a male goat, or a heifer, is burnt on the altar absolutely completely. And it's symbolic of a full surrender to God. They offer the peace offering. It's either a male or female ox, male or female, um, you know, a steer or a cow, a lamb or a goat. And this offering is like a barbecue. You get to eat it, and so does the priest. It's shared with priests and people. It's interesting to note that it's offered with leaven and unleavened bread. Both are at the peace offering. In other words, it's saying God accepts us with our imperfections and our perfections. He is the God of grace. It's symbolic of giving thanks for what God has done and seeking God's blessing for the future. 
As the people enter this land of promise between these two hills, Mount Grisom and Mount Ebal, they will be cognizant of the curse that came upon them because of Achan's sin and how it affected the whole nation. They'll be aware of what that loss felt like and what that presumption did, but they'll also be aware of what the victory felt like and the spoils of that victory and how they've been enriched by following the plans of God. Through God's do-over, they have learned a greater lesson. They have learned an appreciation for victory, awareness of God's presence, assurance of his promise, alertness to God's timing, and adherence to God's word. God also gives you and me the opportunity for do-overs. Maybe in your past, you have had defeat. And maybe you're worried to try that same thing again. Maybe you shared your faith and the reception was very hostile. The person you shared it with said, you know, stop it. Don't talk to me about this. And so you pulled back because it just was traumatic. It was absolutely traumatic. I remember my sophomore year of high school, sharing my faith in a class. And I remember the kids just screaming at me. Literally, there was one young man that came unglued because I said I believed in heaven. He was literally unglued. And he was like red in the face. He was screaming at me. He even threw a spit wad at me. I mean, it was like, wow, you really don't like what I'm saying. And I just, I remember even the teacher said to me, Cheryl, what, what do you think you're doing? I mean, really, you believe all that? I walked out of that class just like, oh, Lord, you know, that was, that was painful. That hurt. I didn't like that experience. There's so much good that came from that. I think I told you before that that teacher ended up getting saved. Uh, the boy who did the spit wad apologized, <laughs> told me he wanted to go to heaven, which was really good. But that wasn't until years later that I found that out. But I remember at the time thinking, I don't want to do this. Being in college, in a class at UCI, and somebody asking me about the ring I got for Christmas. My parents had given me a, a ruby ring, and, and they told me it was my virtuous woman ring. Well, I forgot what virtuous meant to the world. Somebody goes, oh, I like your ring. I'm like, oh, it's my virtuous woman ring. And the whole class went silent, like, Ugh. And they're like, what do you mean by that? I started sharing the gospel. Everybody in the class, it was a Spanish class, started asking me preguntas. They started asking me questions, just proving to you it was a Spanish class. They started asking me, escuche, por favor. They started asking me all these questions about the Lord. And I got a chance. And the reception was so different that I remembered the fear, just like, <gasps> here we go again. You know, I'm checking for spit wads. And instead, it was crazy. I had a girl come up to me going, can I go to church with you? And you're like, yes, you can. I'd love that. God allows us do-overs. Maybe you shared your faith with someone who was hostile to you. And God's telling you, share your faith again. You're like, Lord, 
the last time it didn't go so well. <laughs> Just saying, and I'm checking the house for cursed things. You know, sometimes we can think we know something so well. We get a routine, we get a methodology, and suddenly that methodology and routine doesn't work because we've been putting our faith in the methodology and the routine instead of the God of all grace. Instead of the God of all grace. In the past, I've had Jericho times of sharing where it just seems like the walls just fell down flat and I went right in. And other times, I felt like the walls went up and I was fleeing. But even failure has given me a greater awareness of how much I need God's presence and God's timing and God's plan and God's spirit. Perhaps you've had a friendship or a relationship, a job or some other AI in your life. And God's saying, let's do a do-over. Maybe the word of God is coming to you a second time and saying, I want you to go back. I want you to conquer AI. I don't want AIs in your life as monuments to the victory of the enemy. I want to give you this city as a monument to what I can do, not by might, not by your power, but by my spirit. God wants you to do it by his word, at his word, and through his word. Like the disciples out on the Galilee, maybe with the first AI, you used up all your expertise. You used up your best energy. You used up all your strength. And all you got was tangled and torn in empty nets and no success. But now at the word of the Lord, by his promise, by his presence, by his power, by his plan, by his precise timing, the nets are full. God wants to use the places of failure in your life for the deepest and greatest lessons and victories. He wants to make a living lesson of what happens when we do it wrong so we won't want to go with Mount Ebal. He wants to remind us of how bad life is without him because we all need reminders of what life is like without God. We all need to be reminded of how desperately we need his presence and his promises and his power and his plans. And we all need to be reminded of what it feels like when the glory of the Lord, when the spirit of the Lord is doing it, the superior of, of what it feels like to be doing it by God's plans, by God's time, that feeling of we can't get this wrong because God is so here. He is so among us. He is so for us when he guides our choices and when he protects us from presumption and we begin to settle into his promises. We all need to have a deeper dependency on the Lord, a deeper commitment to his word. You know what I'm really saying is simply this. Don't let your past defeat keep you from today's victory that God has for you because he wants to lead you in victory. So here is our slogan. 
When at first you don't succeed, seek the Lord and do it his way. Not try, try again. No. Seek the Lord and do it his way. Because see, the world says when at first you don't succeed, try, try again. No. But as believers, that's not how we take AI down. When at first you don't succeed, seek the Lord and his plan and his presence and his power and his plan and his precision and victory is assured. Amen. Our God is a God of infinite mercy and grace. His heart is to restore. He wants to use the places of failure in our lives to teach us lessons and give us victories. In times of failure, we are often reminded of what life is really like without Him. We see how desperately we need His power and presence in our lives. He is a God who gives do-overs because He doesn't want us trapped by our past defeats, but wants us to go forward into His promises and purposes. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look at God's covenant of grace as we continue our Possessing the Promises series in the book of Joshua with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.